0: Hey, welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. My name is Mike and Navina, and thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Today, my guest is Andy Reid, and if you're not familiar with Andy, Andy is a record maker, musician, mixing engineer based out of Bay City in Michigan. He's worked with artists like Eric Johnston, Leland Blue, Thomas Garriott, and in this conversation, we have a really fun chat about... Producing solo artists, and this is one of the things that Andy does a lot of, you know, working with artists that are starting with just a small skeleton of an idea for their songs, and then Andy helps them develop their songs, turn them into full productions, and he does it really, really fast as well, and in this conversation, we talk about his process for that, what goes into that, and you know, how he works with these artists so that he can make these sessions run as smoothly as they do. Because as you'll hear, he doesn't like using templates and stuff like that. So it's not like he's starting from the same starting point every time. He's actually building it from the ground up for each project. So there's definitely an art to being able to do that really quickly. And that is something that we get into in this interview. So with that said, I know that there is so much great information in this podcast. So I'm just really excited for you to dive into it. So let's just jump right into it. Andy Reid, thank you so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. How are you today, man? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, no problem. Of course, for people who might not know you, your story, how you got into music, and how you got into uh, production and mixing, and all the stuff that you're doing, can you give us that background?
1: So, when I was about 19, I started playing guitar and playing in bands. This is about 25 years ago, and I'm in Michigan, so the music scene here and there has flourished. But the White Stripes thing was kind of on the horizon, and and all of that. But um, I was in a little power pop trio called the Haskell's, and we had gotten a little bit of financing from a small independent label in Michigan to go make a record. And uh, we had heard through a friend's band that Brendan Benson, who later was in the and Tours and with Jack White and and, uh, and all that, and he's a great solo artist. He had released a record on Virgin in 96. That was like one of my favorites. But we had heard that he was recording, just doing the recording studio thing and producing bands. So we reached out to him and, and uh, we started m- making a record with him, and it was just, you know, tape machines, vintage microphones, all the stuff you, you know, all nerds want to see. That kind of made me fall in love with the record-making process. I kind of had no idea it was that way. And uh, ever since then, you know, I bought a 4-track, and, and I've had 8-track reel-to-reels, and the little all-in-one 16-digital tracks before making my way to Pro Tools. And, so that was about, you know, I've been doing it professionally probably, this is year 16 of of my studio that I'm working on now. So it's it's been kind of a full-time gig for about 16 years. But that's the, you know, the short story of it, you know, just still learning, still playing in bands over the years and, and just trying to perfect it. And as you know, the the more that you learn, the more you realize you need to learn, you know, so... <laughs> It's become, uh, I've become a lifelong student of the craft, but I still love it every day, um, coming down to work and and pushing buttons and trying to get weird sounds.
0: For sure. Yeah. I mean, before we started recording, we were just talking about how, yeah, like there's, there are so many resources out there to learn from these days and it's like, you know, continuing to to learn new things. Like you always surprise yourself with what you don't know right and what do there's so many things you can try and learn and just go deeper and deeper with it and i think also part of it is that the industry is always evolving too so you know different trends in music production are happening and so sometimes it's like well how do you, how do they get that sound you know and then you start to dive deeper into that rabbit hole of like chasing a sound or whatever and i think that's just like part of the way that you keep on top of the industry and on top of what is considered like a you know radio ready song these days you know like what goes into those things and you know it's it's not always like one way to do everything and that's it right
1: yeah i love that about it like i love that there's exciting new music being made in a way that's completely the opposite of how i'm used to doing it like i'm i've always been like the singer songwriter band guy where it's like we mic it up and we hit record you know that's kind of just the way i was you know brought into it but you you know like Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas are making these records in their, in their bedrooms with cool samples that they're kind of doing sound design on their own and really getting in there and, and crafting the Sonics in a really unique and clever way. And, and it's great. I mean, I love that I'm learning stuff, from 19 year olds, you know? <laughs> so it, and it kind of keeps you, you know, keeps you on your toes. It gives you something else to work towards. And it, uh, always makes it interesting at least, you know? So even now that the, the tools are so affordable and, you know, you can get a plugin that does 30 different things and you can sit there for hours with one plugin for crying out loud. So it's, it's, it's create creatively. It's, it's, it's amazing right now. It's the most kind of like fertile time I've ever seen, you know?
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. It's like, you know the more you we kind of talked about this on some of the other episodes too but it's like the more you learn about this stuff too the more you start to like create some like self-imposed rules on yourself sometimes and those rules can also be restrictive right and so when you start to see like what other people are doing sometimes it's like well they're they're doing the complete opposite thing of what i've been told i should be doing you know and and like that's just how you you learn like oh that's that's a cool approach there like i gotta try that and you know (laughs) keep you on your toes yeah and having like you know sometimes i'll get hired
1: because of a record you know like i did and then i i kind of have it you kind of have it in your head that's like okay i got to get the drums to sound similar than that and you know that kind of thing and then you're kind of it's like well did they want me because i was creative with sounds or did they want me because of those sounds you know so you gotta you gotta kind of go in with an open mind and 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 still keep that um keep that, the idea open that you you don't have to do the cookie cutter thing. You know, you can, you can get a little weird if, if you want to. And and that, and I think part of it with my attention span is that like, I don't have templates and I don't have any of that stuff. It's like, I, I kind of, I don't know if it's, I can't do the same thing twice or I just have a hard time going to the same thing over and over again. I just want to try different things to see how they sound and work and, and, I think because of that though everybody has their own unique sounding record you know it's like there's not like one staple sound that i kind of work on it's like every single thing is kind of specifically tailored towards the artist in the song so that that part's fun for me because it's not like the same thing over and over and over each day and and that can get a little tedious
0: for sure well that and that makes sense too and and it's interesting i'm always amazed when i hear people That have been doing this professionally talk about how they don't use templates because I feel like that's kind of something that a lot of people start to get into. The more the busier you are with it, the more people tend to template things to optimize their processes. So I'm curious to know if you're not using templates, what do you do to help keep your um, your sessions like as efficient and fast as possible so that you're not you know spending all that time doing all those tedious tasks.
1: Uh, That's a great question. So um, I do have like my inputs and everything uh all wired into cuz I have all outboard preamps and compressors and EQs so I have like 18 channels just set ready to go kind of for whatever and my drums are always plugged in and I'll always put up a couple of uh, crazy weird mics through pedals or something like that so I can get going pretty quick with any instrument so on the creative side when we're actually working on songs and recording Uh, I try to have the sounds ready to go as close as possible. And then um, when we're done with the tracking of that particular part, I'll just do a little carving, reverb, whatever, and kind of get it close to almost the way it's going to be mixed. So when I get to my final mix, I have everything kind of dialed in a little bit, and it doesn't take me... And and I like that, too, because every decision we make after we do those one parts is, is... it's, it's affecting the next thing we record. So when we're building a track, it's nice to hear how it's going to sound. And then when we add something, we know it's going to work in the mix. And the next thing, if it's going to work in the mix and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, because if you have like a high piano bit and then you want to add another high sparkly thing, it's like, well, do we really need that other high thing? Because the piano's kind of covering that ground. And if you can hear it, they're kind of fighting for territory, you know? So things like that, I feel like kind of getting the sound on the way in, getting it as close as I possibly can to the mix helps the decision-making process for the next things we add. Cause I work with a lot of solo artists. So I should, should have clarified that because they'll come in and I'll be the guy that like adds all the other instrumentation. So, um, you know, we're building these songs together as like, if we're the band. So, uh, it's nice to be able to do the drums dial them in okay let's, we want that kind of drum sound so now we know it's like okay we're taking this in a 70s kind of vibe thing or whatever so then every decision we make after that goes in that direction so so that's kind of fun it's kind of we have no idea what it's going to sound like when it's done but if we make these decisions together and the artist is appro- approving these decisions even though I'm the person playing them uh, it's kind of nice because they're still involved in the in the production side of it and and that's a lot of fun, and they're getting gotcha. their own kind of custom thing. So
0: that's cool. Yeah. So you're you're typically tracking things like one instrument at a time and building from there, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Typically, most of the time, I do do bands. Um, I um, have done. I would say probably four out of five are definitely solo artists that I work with, you know, because I'm doing the production, producing and the engineering and helping with the arranging and stuff like that. And a lot of these artists, they've never played in a band. So it's I like that process immensely because... I can ask them questions like, well, who are your favorite bands, you know, and then and, and try to give them something that would be that that they would listen to because they like Wilco or they like Bob Dylan or whatever, you know. Uh, so that's kind of fun. You know, it's just kind of like we're exploring together, trying to figure out what their identity is as an artist. And, gotcha. and that's super rewarding, you know, because they walk out smiling, just hearing hearing their song like they never thought it would ever sound, you know.
0: For sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I I know so many people that do tend to record one instrument at a time. Maybe it's just because of limitations of working in a home studio and not having the space or the inputs, that kind of thing. And so I'm, I am curious to know when you do start getting those tones, let's say you're starting with drums. I, I don't know if that's your typical starting point, but you know, if you're starting off with drums, like how do you make those decisions knowing what it might sound like in the end you know like how are you shaping those sounds at the source without really knowing how it all builds together right like is it just like just your experience has told you over the years like i typically carve this or i do that kind of thing like is that is that typically is that is that how you've learned to just get things right at the source from there
1: Well, I mean, I already have everything kind of set to a spot where I can kind of take them into like a more roomier thing or I can kind of open up the drums and make them a little ringy or or dry them up and stuff like that. But what I'll typically do is, you know, we'll start with doing like a scratch guitar to like a shaker or a a drum loop, right? And then then we'll discuss like, you know, should we make this build here? Should the drums cut out here? We'll kind of map out the drum part together before I even play it. So it's not like um, you know we have the arrangement. We've talked about the dynamics that we want in the track. So then I can kind of play them. Or if it's like if it's something really technically technically challenging, I'll bring in a, a, my friend Donnie who does a lot of session work for me on drums, and he's phenomenal. So then I can kind of treat the drums. A l- I, I can kind of do a little more on the way in in that regard. But if I'm playing them, I kind of have to play it a little safe. You know, like I can't yeah. really go super hard with the compression and stuff like that then in post I'll kind of work on it and get the and carve them out and decide how much verb to add and all that stuff or how much room to add so I have a good safe starting point for myself and then um, then I can kind of go f- from there with plugins and so forth with with the mixing side because yeah like you said there's only so much you can do. You know when you're monitoring, and then you're, you know, I'll even have like the artists have to go in there and just hit levels for me. You know,
0: yeah, I was gonna say recording your own drums is a is a hard thing to do.
1: It is, <laughs> it is, yeah. So I kind of just have to find a sweet spot on the pre and get my mics. Like I know where my mics need to go at this point. I've been in the same room for so long, so it's like I can kind of like you know I can put mics on, set levels, and not have to hear a thing to get like a good drum sound. So that's kind of nice, and that's experience for sure. You know. Um, you know, just knowing that if I want something with brighter symbols and stuff, I'll put my small diaphragms up. If I want my big fat drums, I'll use my Cole's ribbon mics as overheads. That's about the extent of my decision making with drums is <laughs> like the type of overheads that I use, honestly. But, um, yeah, it, it works great, you know, it, and, uh, but I do have to tend to play on the safer side sometimes. And I'm in a really small room, so it's like I can't, um... My drum mics usually just stay in place too, so that's kind of convenient.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's it. Kind of goes to show your your level of experience, where you know you're making those decisions based on like, do I want a brighter sound? I'll use the small diaphragms. Do I want a darker sound? I'll use the coals. Like, you know that that just shows that you have that experience of using the gear and being able to identify like how big of a difference those things make. So you can quickly get a sound going and, and yeah, I'm sure you kind of mentioned the idea of like listening to other musicians or other, other references, you know, doing that will give you also kind of a sense of where to go with that kind of vision for the song and, you know, who the influences are. And you can pretty easily pick out in other recordings, like, okay, they went for a darker sound. They went for a brighter sound. Some of those big picture kind of things are easier to identify you might not be able to know the exact mics that they use, but you at least right. can have a sense of like, okay, well, I need to find a darker sounding microphone. What do I have? I need a brighter one. What do I have? You know? So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and also like trying to know, like that a Levon helm feel is different than a Ringo feel is different than a bottom feel, you know, like all those different things too. So if they want something specific in that, in that sense, then I know the musicians to come in and, and, fill those gaps too so that that's important knowing the different styles of all the different drummers that they are listening to i'll even before we'll, we'll have like a pre production meeting i call it we'll just go have dinner and have a drink or something like that and i'll just ask them what kind of records do you love like what, what do you like listening to and and if i hadn't heard the records i'll go and listen to them you know and and get a sense for like oh those are really fuzzed out guitars this is going to be fun i never would have guessed that so doing a little bit of homework beforehand helps a lot too um so and then if that that also helps me to know if i need to hire people like if i if i need like an awesome piano b3 player or something it's like okay i gotta i got i have a person for that so uh i'm gonna need that for this project so it it
0: it, it helps Absolutely. Well, another thing you had mentioned earlier was the idea that you tend to play on a lot of the records that you make. And, and that was something that I noticed when I was looking at your discography was that you're often credited as a musician on most of the records that you make. So I was curious to know, you know, how those collaborations come together. And, you know, it's, it's you kind of maybe answered it a little earlier because you tend to work with solo artists. But I was going to say, are you playing on records because people can't play their parts? Or is it just more like a collaboration thing where you're working as a songwriter with people?
1: Yeah, most of the people that come in are just like uh, they'll they'll play their main instrument like a guitar or a piano, and, and then they sing. So I kind of have to fill in the gaps with with the other stuff. Uh, I am a bass player and a guitarist; as those are my two best or instruments. But I can kind of fake my way around a keyboard and and um, and the drum kit a little bit. I'm a very good editor with drums and Pro Tools, so I can <laughs> I can get in there and hack up a drum. Take, and then they listen back and they're like, you did that. That that sounds way better than what it sounded like in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, most of the time it's with solo artists. And, and you know, when it is with bands, you know, I, what I try to do with bands is kind of fill in the blanks. So I want to let the band do their thing. I want to let the drummer do his thing and the bass player do his thing and the the guitar player and then I'll I'll listen and be like, okay, what's missing here? You know, okay, this could use a B three part in the chorus. Here, I'll just play it real quick, and stuff like that. So I'm just kind of like a an additional member in in those in that situation. But when it's um, when it's just me and a solo artist, it's definitely like I I end up playing a lot of the stuff, uh, basically just because I've been playing them for so long, and you know I'm the guy in the room that can kind of play it. So. Uh, when it comes to, but I, I should clarify that even though I'm playing the part, I work out the part with the artist. So it's like, so they're helping me compose the bass line and they're helping me compose the auxiliary guitar parts and stuff like that. So you know what I mean? Like, I want yeah. them involved in it. I just don't want like my go to style or whatever it would be to be on these records. I want their signature on it even though i'm playing it we're writing them together we're writing the parts together so that that's important to me because it's like i don't want to take over the project and have it sound like an andy reed solo record i want it to sound like that record
0: that's that's fair yeah it's interesting because i do feel like my experience in the in working with singer-songwriters is that there's there's a lot of there's a wide range of people being prepared, right? A, a, a wide range of the prepare, preparation that they have going into these things, right? Like there's yeah, some yeah. people that, there's some people that just know, okay, like I want my album to sound like this and I can play all the parts. I'm maybe just a guitar player, but if you give me like a bass or whatever, I can play all these parts in. And it's like, cool. Then you're just like an engineer recording someone's ideas. And then there's other people that are like, here's this acoustic song I have and I want to turn it into some like full blown pop production. And I think it takes a specific type of engineer or producer to work with those kind of projects because you you clearly have to have that that skill to be able to play those instruments and play those parts and, you know, write with people that way, too. Right. So it kind of sounds like you're doing a little bit more of that side of things. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As much as I always just wanted to be an engineer and work on huge consoles and and, you know, have 50 pull techs and all that stuff. I am a producer that has engineering skills. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I've, <laughs> I've accepted the fact that I am a producer that has the ability to record at a decent level. And so, and I just know that that's where my skill set lies, you know, and I think it, it is just because from being a songwriter, I think it's uh, from just being a fan of so many different styles of music. So I can kind of tap into so many different um vibes and stuff like that. So I think that that's important to know that most of the stuff that I get now, if not all of it, it's not because I have a studio, it's because they want me involved in the music making process. And then I document it in, you know, in my studio. So, uh, yeah, I didn't, it didn't start out that way. It's definitely started out as like, you know, setting up microphones and, and having everybody come in and, and then, And then I'm like, okay, what do you want to do next? Are you done with that song? Like, I wasn't even thinking production yet. You know, I was just thinking like, do you have all the stuff you need for this song? We can move on to the other one, you know? So, um, but I I actually enjoy it this way. I I really like being involved in the music making side. I think it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, you're kind of in a different band each day kind of thing, which is super fun. And I never know what's going to happen. You know, it's like every day is just, it's just different. So that it's been enjoyable getting to that spot where i can say that i'm a producer that engineers even though i wanted to just be the nerdy guy that pushed buttons and wore the white lab coat for sure and, <laughs> well, and work you, at abbey road of course
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i mean, you're right though it is it is kind of the idea of like being in a different band every day and that that kind of does make it a little more exciting a little more refreshing and you know that's not the same thing every day um and i also think that you know, it, it's cool that you were able to acknowledge that your production chops are actually the thing that people keep coming to you for because, you know, that is just a skill in itself that differentiates you from the classic tip or typical engineer. You know, it's like you're the guy to go to for that kind of thing. Like, I, I've had people come to me, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a drummer primarily. I don't play guitar very well or bass very well. And so, like, if someone comes to me being like, here's an acoustic song, turn it into a full-blown pop, pop production... I, personally, I don't feel like I'm the guy for that. Right. But it's like, it's great to know that there are people like you who, who have that, that uh, experience and that, that are like, yeah, that's what I do. You know? And and I think that that's, that really does differentiate you from someone like myself or a lot of other people. Right. Like we each come to it with our own strengths. Right. Right. And I think that's huge. It just, I mean, I know like you, we were
1: talked about there's uh, with your listeners is that, like, you know, everybody's getting into this and it's like almost to the point where we all have the same set of tools, right? With the same software available and and, and all that stuff. We can all pretty much achieve the same sound. So it's like, how are you going to separate yourself from the herd? Because otherwise you're just going to get lost in the shuffle. So it's like you recognize your strengths, you work on those. And and I guess I never really realized how much the engineering side depended on on like the production side. You know, going back to like the Beatles case, it's like, you know, Jeff Emmerich when he was doing you know Sergeant Pepper, you know they they almost listed him as a producer because of like the sounds he came up with were so vital to the production of that record. You know, and and you know you marry those two things together, and um they really just overlap so much. You know, it's like, here's the guitar part as the musician. Okay, now I'm going to set it up as the engineer. Okay, now we're going to produce the part together. You know, it's like, it's it's wearing different hats, but I don't notice the, I used to notice when I'd get into different mode, like I'd have to turn a key and just switch to engineering mode, and then switch to producer mode. And and then switch to musician mode. And now they're just a blur. You know, they just kind of, they're all together and we're just working on this stuff together in the room with the artist. And and the, I don't sit there for 10 minutes and, and search for a guitar sound. It's like, well, get the guitar sound and I'll put a Unidine 57 on the, preamp mic or on the guitar amp and then just get get a good level and then we're going you know back in the day i would have spent 20 minutes just moving the mic around on the cone you know what i mean like yeah. like it's just like i just want to keep the session moving while we're being creative so i uh, try not to let the technical side get in the way um as much as i can because i like it, it's crazy um it's, but we'll try to do a song a day. Like someone will come in at ten o'clock for the session, and by four o'clock we'll have the song done. And I love working fast like that. But also, I have all my inputs up, like I said before, and 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 so we can just get to work on the creative thing and not have to worry about the tech. Like spending two hours getting drum sounds, you know. For sure,
0: it's interesting too because, like, you know, there to to your your point there about like how you used to spend so much time moving around a microphone, it's like the more you do this, the more you kind of realize that there's like a general starting point for all this stuff that is going to work 90% of the time, you know? And then, yeah, yeah, if you want to like get picky with like, let's roll off the little top and I'm going to move the mic a little off to the side, that kind of thing, you, you can do that, but like you can agonize over that stuff all day, right? So it's like it just when you start to realize like those – like basic starting points, like you can get good results right away with that. And so sometimes in the interest of just making your session run smooth and efficient, efficient and fast, like just using those starting points gets you there. And then, yeah. I mean, there's also something to say about when you have consistency like that and you are kind of starting from those same those same points, it allows you to like know what what's gonna happen in the mixing stage a lot easier too, because you've you've already corrected those mistakes or you've already corrected those things so many times that you kind of just instinctively know, okay, I gotta fix this, I gotta do that. Yeah, you know, so it helps you work a lot faster, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, and it's trial and error. You know, I'll have days where I call them just like like lab days. So I'll I'll put an amp up and then I'll grab six microphones and then I'll just record a little bit of each one and just be like, oh, you know, that that one sounds a little cooler for that kind of tone. So I do have days where I'm still trying things just to see what they're doing and then before I know it it's like now I have 3 go to mic choices for electrics you know it's like if we want this kind of thing this this mic handles high gain stuff better than this mic you know so it's like I can make those choices super quick boom put it on the put it on the uh the cab and and it's good to go so it's important I think to know the gear you have I'm sure everybody knows you know this but it's like it's it's so hard because this plugin world. I'll buy like two plugins and they'll sit in my folder for a month. And it's like before, I used to sit there with for like six hours with each plugin and try it on everything <laughs> and see what it can do inside and out. You know, and um, I I know that the the technical side can really get in the way of the creative side a lot, especially in this day and age. Like you said, with all the the choices we have, it's 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 unlimited and it's insane. But it's also just unlimited possibilities, you know. So that's 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 the fun part.
0: Well, I love that you said you give yourself like a dedicated lab day because that's just like fun learning day you know that's like the the things that you've always wondered if you can do try it out you know like (laughs) then then you learn those things right and i feel like that's something so many people don't do it's just like they're so focused on just getting the job done and then maybe they're like okay i'm done this project like i don't want to spend any more time working on music maybe they i mean like obviously enjoy your life and do all those other things outside of outside of work you know but like it is good to just also spend the time and actually you know, experiment and have fun with it and, you know, fall in love with it again, you know, if if you, if it finds, if you find that it's getting like a little monotonous or something, right?
1: Yeah. And I have a, luckily too, I have amazing clientele that will let me get away with some of that while we're in the session, but I don't want to hold up anything either. It's like, man, I always say, I always do like one fun mic per overdub. So I have one that like, I know is going to work and then I'll just throw something through a pedal and 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 I'm not all the time, but like a lot of the time I will. And then it's like, dude, 80% of the time, 90% of the time it's unusable. But that 10 to 20%, it's kind of fun. It's like, dude, that's that crappy, you know, phone mic I put on the floor in front of the kick drum. Listen to that thing, you know, or whatever. And um, that always gets, I always feel like it's, I don't want to say it's putting on a show for the client or the artist, but it's like, I love being there and almost like saying, oh, that failed. Like, okay, I'm failing here. You know, whatever. Um, Showing them that it's okay to try things. You know, it kind of gets them into that mode of like, yeah, okay, well, Andy's trying stuff and he's been doing this this long and he's like, oh, and it sounded bad? That's, oh, that's cool. You know, but you just got to be comfortable with failure and you got to be comfortable doing it in front of other people. And if you are, then that's when the, everybody's brain turns on. It's like, let's have some fun here. You know, we could really get s- with some weird sounds. Will they all be usable? Probably not. But if you get one or two great things out of it that are super unique, then that, that makes your record even that much more special. And I think that that's important, but it's like you said, that all stems from those lab days too, you know, like, oh man, I just got this new mic and. I thought it was going to be a snare mic, but it ended up being a great, you know, bass cab mic. You know, whatever. It, it, it's you, you just never know. And I know that there are go tos like you know four twenty ones for toms and and that kind of thing, or staples or whatnot. And those are all great, but it's like I love finding buying a microphone and finding it works on something else uh, from what I intended it to work on. You know, mm-hmm. like I just bought a I just bought a Sony. Uh, uh, 37 clone the mojave one and this has always been a dream mic for me you know and i'm like this is gonna be the best vocal mic ever on everybody and i'm like dang it i i sound awful on it like i was hoping that i would <laughs> sound great on it you know and i'm like crap put it up in front of the drum kit it's like the most 3d thing i've ever had in a room and i'm like oh man this is perfect you know so <laughs> you just never know until you try those things it, and that's that's the beauty of it i think it's a lot like the uh the the microphone and the mic preamp i always use the guitar and amplifier analogy it's like you know you got a fender strat with a with a, a twin reverb is going to sound different than a than a a Les Paul through a Marshall full stack. You know, that's the same relationship with microphones and preamps. So you try those different combinations, you can get so many different colors, you know?
0: For sure. Yeah, and I love that too, because like so many mics I find have a reputation for being like the, the perfect mic for X, you know, or whatever, right? So people buy these things thinking, well, that's all I'm ever gonna use it on. And they don't even experiment with it to see what you can get away with. and it'll blow your mind sometimes, like, what's possible. I, I recently, even for from one of my memberships, um, we were doing a microphone shootout, and I, I was just testing out, like, a whole bunch of mics that we had in the studio just on everything, and it blew my mind, like, how versatile a 57 is, you know? Like, I always knew it, and, like, I've always done it on guitars and on, like, snare drum, that kind of thing, but, like, to, to try it out as an overhead mic or, like, to try it out as a kick mic, it's kind of, like, shit this is actually kind of usable you know like if that's all a you freaking had vocal mic a vocal mic dude yeah. i mean they're amazing
1: mics i just got into like the unidine 57s I bought a couple of those, and it's like, man, I'm just hooked on 57s. I'm with you. It's like, it's the Swiss Army knife.
0: It really is. Yeah, totally. If I had, like, eight 57s, I'd feel totally comfortable just, like, using them on everything, like, having a whole having a whole drum kit of 57s, and, you know, I'm sure it would sound great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Easily make a record with all 57s. Easily.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, but I love that, and it all comes back down to just, like, those, again, those lab days and spending the time to just experiment and find those things that... Maybe you didn't think would work, but you tried it and now it works. I even remember like being in in college and our uh, one of our engineering teachers he he would say like, don't use condenser mics on drums like on like kick drums or whatever. And I was like, okay like i guess you know that's 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 his approach you know and then like the first day i worked at like a studio it was like okay so we're going to put the f47 on here we're going to do that and i was like <laughs> i was told we weren't supposed to do that you know yeah <laughs> and it's like oh that's but a- it works it sounds amazing so yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's funny but like yeah some of the the rules or quote unquote rules that that exist are 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 kind of silly if you think about it. i mean i understand the like you got to be careful using a, a delicate ribbon mic on a vocal because the um, the air could pop the ribbon. You know, there's there's things like that that yeah. exist for a reason. But I was going to say too, um, you know, I also still kind of work on my own music and those are sometimes my lab days too. So uh, I kind of still set aside a day a week, non-having a client in, and, and, and I'll either work on one of my own songs or I'll do a lab day or they're combined. You know, because I'd rather screw up on my own time than with with someone else's dollar. You know what I mean? So, Makes sense. Uh, yeah. I, and, and but it's also like you said. I think I quit doing those days for a while, and I was miserable. Like I'm just I'm just going through the motions, and I'm just like, oh, this is this. You know, sitting here complaining, I can't believe it. But it's like I needed those creative days to kind of reconnect with the craft. You know, it's like you need to stay connected to it. Otherwise, you're just, you know, going through the motions. And that's, you can't do that when this artist is entrusting you with their baby, essentially. So uh, I feel like it's important. That's my way of connecting to it. For sure. You know, and then everybody has their own way to do it. Um, but yeah, I just, it's, I, once they I started doing it again, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this is, this is why,
0: yeah. you know. I agree with that. And I think it's, you know, for most people listening to this, I think, I think a lot of musicians have that experience of having gone into a studio and just being surrounded by all these like knobs and lights and stuff like that. And it's like mesmerizing and fascinating. And you're just like, Ooh, you know, it's like all this, like this foreign, foreign world that like you're interested in. And I think that's how a lot of people get into this stuff. And it's like, Take yourself back to that moment and remember that like at that point everything was new to you. It was like it was all about learning. It was all about experimenting and like trying something or like figuring out how this works, you know? And it's like just because you've been in the studio doing it every day for a while it doesn't mean that 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 magic to it needs to be lost. You can still have that fun and and reconnect with that like intrigue of trying something new or trying a different plugin. You know, I love what you said earlier about just like spending hours just playing with a plugin and seeing what you can get away with or like you know I've even spent days where I'll shoot out all of my you know 1176 plugins and just be like why are these different why do I have 30 1176 plugins you know (laughs) exactly (laughs) and then you realize okay this one actually has a use for this one sounds better with this this one's got this weird low-end thing to it whatever and and you find those go-to things and now you are excited about it you're excited to use these tools and you find a, a new use for it right
1: yeah. That, and that's the beauty of where it's at right now. I mean, like when I was starting, it was an SM57 with a quarter inch cable on it into a four track. That's all I could do <laughs> until I figured out I could plug into my guitar amp with reverb and then mic my guitar amp, you know, it's just that little, that little extra thing that gets you a, another 1% or 2% or whatever. And, you know, there's just, in and, and the technology changing, like you said earlier is another thing that kind of keeps you on your toes. You hear some weird sounds out there and you're just like, what is that? And you, you, I still get stumped listening to things like, how did that happen? And so just that, you know, being a music fan first, I think is important uh, in, in my case, because it, it, I still have that sense of, of like things still freak me out. Like when I hear like a, like Ryan Freeland is one of my favorite engineers because he just captures bands in a room just so well. And I'm like, he'll release, like he did like the last Amy Mann record mixes and it's just like, put my headphones on. It's like, oh, how does he do that? You know? And I'm like <laughs> emailing him. I'm like, okay, dude, come on. You got to tell me how, you know. <laughs> Whatever. And, and the nice thing is, too, is like a lot of these these people that I look up to are so accessible now and they love answering questions. I mean, everybody in this audio world is so um, nice and, and welcoming that you can talk to anyone at this point and they'll, they'll help you out with a question. And I think that's that's the coolest part. This, the audio community itself has really become like a uh, like its own family. And, and I never knew that even existed either. You know, it's like, I kind of go to these conferences and I hang out with my friends and then, you know, we'll have another two people come and then they're, you know, our, our table grows each year. And it's like, this is like my family away from home. You know, it's so much fun. And I, I, and you're with like-minded people too, you know, it's like, I'm sure, you know, you and I could, talk every night for three hours and not blink (laughs) twice and not like repeat ourselves, you know, because we're, we love what we do so much. And, you know, I'm not around a lot of people in Bay city that have that same mindset. So when you're around other engineers and, and you're able to ask questions and, and they're picking your brains and whatever it's just like so much fun talking this kind totally. of stuff man i mean
0: that, that's why i started this podcast it was the same thing I know. Thing, right? yeah <laughs> it's just like and let's, let's just talk gear about this let's just talk about gear and let's hang out with cool people and have fun learning all this cool stuff right so yeah i agree the, the audio community is definitely very open and you know it's just a matter of putting yourself out there and that, i think that's just a fear thing that a lot of people have that they just feel like of, oh if i send off an email or whatever i'm never gonna hear from this person or i'm gonna get rejected by them or whatever it's not just take your chance try it why why not right <laughs> well and yeah. also
1: like you know it, it's that inferiority complex that just i think uh, all of us as artists have like it's just like okay wh- why am i gonna send this mix to this person and have them critique it because it's like oh man they're just gonna rip it apart and it's like it's like well to get anywhere you kind of want them to rip it apart you know they're not going to be a jerk to you they're going to be like okay the guitars are amazing did a great job on the vocal maybe bring this up a little bit here you know they're going to give you like constructive criticism the greatest engineers on the planet i've never seen one of them be mean to anyone what that's willing to put their art out there for them to hear and that's that's pretty impressive
0: of course. Yeah, I have a I have a coaching program where I help out people and and do a lot of like, you know, I walk them through my process, but also I'm constantly reviewing their mixes and giving them feedback on them and and it's funny cuz I'll I'll check in with people after a little while and we'll just start chatting about it and you know i'll be like kind of you know what were some of your hesitations getting into this stuff and people are always like i'm just kind of scared of like sending people my music to listen to and it's like yeah but how was it like you know i helped you out with this like what was it like and and everyone's like yeah it wasn't like once i did it and i realized like you're not mean you know it's like (laughs) exactly (laughs) i actually got something very valuable out of it right and it's like that's just how it is like you just got to put yourself out there and and try and and um from that, there's a lot of great stuff that you can learn and take away from it. Right. Yeah. And we
1: were there, like, we know that feeling of being scared to do it, you know, it's like, so we, we can sympathize so much with, with the step that they're taking by doing something like that. So it's impossible for you to be mean, you know what I mean? And (laughs) you get to a certain point where so much of it is subjective, you know what I mean? It's like, well, I'd push the guitars up. It's like, well, that you might send it to another engineer that's done just as much. Say, I'd bring the guitars down, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, yeah. at a certain point, it gets to that. But when you're dealing with the basics of like, okay, your mix is a little cloudy, you know, there are some technical things that I think most people would do. This is what I would do, you know, that kind of thing, too.
0: Yeah, there's certainly fundamentals of, you know, like the the volume things. That's the subjective part, but it's the clarity side of it that 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 exists no matter what. You have to always make sure you're focused on that, and and that's certainly something that I always talk about with my students. Um, I'd love to go back a little bit about, uh, go back to the singer-songwriter thing, and when we were talking about how a lot of people come to you they do come to you with just kind of those bare bones ideas. And I'm curious to know, like, what is your starting point with those? Because you said you you work pretty fast from the sounds of it. Like you said you do it all in a day, which is surprising. Cause I think some people would spend a whole day maybe just working on writing the parts, you know. So how do you start and you know what's your normal process look like for that? Yeah, well,
1: first they'll they'll kind of come in and they'll play the song and and I'll be like, you know, you feeling that tempo? What if you slowed, you know, we'll get the tempo down because. I'll listen to the, the lyrics and whether the, if it feels like they're rushing through their lyrics a little bit, I'll say, let's try slowing it down, whatever, you know, just feeling it out and then uh, work on an arrangement. Cause if they're just a solo act, you know, they might not consider instrumental breaks and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, we're only at three minutes, so we could probably throw an instrumental moment in there somewhere, stuff like that. And just kind of build like, you know, the first hour is definitely like building the structure of the song, the arrangement the tempo, that kind of thing. And then the rest of the day is like, you know, working on the groove part of it. And sometimes I'll sit here before I even play the drums and play like a fake drum part. Like, what do you think of this? Okay. What, what about this? What about this feel? You know, this is a little more Latin or whatever. And, and just give them some options to really listen to and and see what, what's striking them, um, as, as what they want. And, And then just kind of going from there, you know, bass, bass is probably my easiest thing to do. Um, I can kind of knock that out pretty quickly and just, you know, um, record it and play it, you know, 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, but yeah, it's just a little bit of chipping away here and there. It's like, okay, what what do you think we need next? You know, what, is, what would be good next? So have them laying down that scratch guitar and scratch vocal is kind of the first thing, you know, like the, getting the form and, and getting the tempo and all that stuff and, and building a map. I always just call it, let's build a map, you know, let's build a map here. And then So, um, I kind of capture it, like, just in case that is the vocal, but, you know, I always seem to get a better performance when they are singing at the end of the day, when they're hearing all the stuff that's going on, and now they can sing to the emotion of the track. You know, it's different from having a band where they can sing with the emotion of the band live, right? And sometimes you can get that first or second take, you know, but... In my situation, they were kind of singing their song for the first time with this new arrangement with all these bells and whistles. I get a little bit of excitement there because they're really happy and they're listening to this thing that, you know, it, it, it's, it's new to them. You know, like they might have played this song a million times already, but they're hearing it this way for the first time. And I can usually get a good lead vocal towards the end of the day um, and then you know, work on harmonies and stuff after. So usually the order of operation in a nutshell is arrangement, building a map, um, then work on groove, drums and bass, and rhythm guitar and or, but they might already have the rhythm guitar part. So I'll even kind of work the groover on that if I can. And then you know, extra stuff keyboards harmonies and uh, percussion and stuff like that usually come last so just getting that main main rhythm bed and feel is definitely the first thing I'll, I'll record
0: for sure and yeah it's not like you're completely starting from scratch you are starting from at least a vocal generally and some sort of guitar part or something some some sort of um, melodic elements I'm sure right
1: yeah yeah, so, yeah. and I, sometimes I can get a lot from just the way they're strumming it you know what I mean it's like you know, that so much of the feel is in the way they'll strum their guitar, and and I'll try to feed off that as much as I can, so it still feels like that same emotion they're getting when they're just playing it by themselves. You know, mm-hmm. so trying to listen, trying to stay open minded, and then if something needs like if I if if like uh, something occurs, like they're they're singing a similar melody in the chorus than they are in the verse, then I'll kind of step in and say, okay, here's an idea. You know, like, what if we tried to switch this up a little bit so the chorus elevates? So try starting up here vocally when the chorus hits. And I'll I'll only kind of interject when I hear the possibilities of making something um, stronger or it needs to happen kind of thing for, for it to feel more verse-chorus, verse-chorus or whatever. But I'll try not to, if it's there and I'm feeling it, I'm, I'll just stay hands off on all that stuff. And I'll be like, your arrangement's great. Your chords are great. Your melody's great. Let's go lay down the scratch. You know, that kind of thing. And that happens a lot because I work with some pretty good writers.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think there are some people that just are, that, that want to get into to doing more of this kind of like production side of things and, and writing stuff, but maybe they're just like, not sure how to start, whatever. But I guess, you know, that's the right approach to have. It's just like, let's just start from what you got. And, you know, let's add one element here. Let's see how we feel about this element. Let's add something else. And you just kind of, you're building this thing up, right? Yeah. And and the nice thing is, is working digitally, Um,
1: you know, you can try things later on that you might, oh, it's like, oh, you know what? Now that we have all our stuff, I feel like we need one more big course or something, you know, and you can just Edit that in. It's crazy. So you can use Pro Tools as a production tool and arrangement as a production tool. So it's it's crazy how much fun it is. And when you're working with artists that um what I've learned to understand is working with artists, it, it's hard to explain things sometimes. So it's like I'll I'll do something and I'll let them hear it. And I'll say, Okay, we can do it this way, listen to that. We can do it this way, listen to that. We can do it this way, listen to that. And then they're able to listen. And then make their decisions, you know, where like if you have a band member, it's just like that's their decision, you know. So I feel like trying things, laying them down and letting the artist hear them or hear what the potential of the tune. That's why I even said like doing the fake drum track, you know, like just doing kick, snare, kick, kick, snare, kick, snare or whatever. They're able to kind of hear the groove in a way that it might be occurring on their song. And if they like that, okay, okay, I'll go cut it, you know. And, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's sometimes, and you can make things like even just a string arrangement. It's like, well, we'll get real strings, but let's map out the parts now and write the parts. And you can get great string sounds and get that done in a hurry. And it's just, it's crazy the amount of stuff you can get done and how fast you can do it.
0: Of course. Yeah. Especially like with all the software instruments, like the MIDI packs are so good these days. And you can get very believable stuff. So (laughs) I know I haven't turned on my
1: analog since in like four months because it's like I got some of the... And uh of the Arturia stuff. And it's like, oh, I got like four presets I made, and I'm just like, I just go to those four. And it's like, <laughs> well, I could plug in my real Model D, but then I gotta turn the knobs, and <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> and they sound the same. It hurts so bad to say it. I was such an analog snob for so long. And now I'm like, I don't care. Whatever's gonna get me there quicker and it's gonna sound good, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the good news is that it, it's at some point, if you want, you can always sell off those things, and you still have the sounds, right? And, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they still look good in
1: the studio, oh, yeah, so it's kind of like they're <laughs> a little dusty, but but I I mean, st- the certain band that wants that experience, and that's another thing that I, we haven't really tackled. That's kind of a huge part of what I love about doing this. Is like, um, I had such a great experience and such a fun time in all of my studio situations when I was in a band it's like I want to make that experience happen for them it's like I don't I mean I know that the finished product is eventually what they want but it's like but I want them to have a great time in that five six hours we're making that song so sometimes it is plugging in analog synth into a delay pedal rather than just using a thing and saying okay all right when I say go turn the turn the release time up you know like we're we're doing something tactile and we have stories to tell and, and, and it's like, I always use the analogy, you don't go golfing to say you shot a 84 or whatever you go for the four or five hours of, of being out there and having fun. And I, I I really emphasize just us having a good time doing this because it'll just be so much more rewarding. And I think that comes out in the music too. You know what I mean? Like if two band members are arguing the whole time, I'm going to listen when I hear that song. I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, it could be the best song on the planet. I'm just like, those guys would not shut up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, I, like I said, I just want them to have a great experience. And that, and that's, that's important to me because, um, I've had some mostly great experiences, but I've had some negative ones too. And it's just like, I don't want anybody to spend their hard earned money and have a negative experience. Of course. Of course.
0: Yeah. And I, I agree with you but the, the synths and having the hardware ones it's like sometimes sometimes just even having walking into an environment where there are these like physical tools is just it's inspiring for a lot of people too and maybe they've played with the software versions and then to actually see the physical thing it's like holy shit this like this is it you know i've always you know people get inspired by it right so it's uh, uh, yeah, hundred percent
1: yeah and if that inspires their performance i'll plug them in i don't all day you know what i mean so yeah absolutely you yeah, know i sure. have a bunch of small tube amps and they'll be like oh I love I've I've always wanted to play one of those little uh you know Alamo cheap amps and I'm like well let's fire it up you know and and then it inspires their playing you know all of that all that and that's why the the dialing it in too like we talked about earlier is important to me because I want their headphones to sound like a record you know because when the drums are rocking and just huge in their ears it's like you get some you get some guys going for it and and it's it's awesome so if you get it to sound as good as you can in the headphones and in the room then i feel like that really has a tremendous effect on how they perform
0: for sure absolutely um one thing i did want to ask you about um when i listen to you, to your work like one thing i think you do really really well is creating great vocal stacks like you you have this way of making your mixes sound really big and full and your vocals just feel giant to me um and, and i'm curious to know like you know, what are some of your tips for working with vocals and creating that size out of them?
1: Well, yeah. Well, first off, let me just give a little background. It's like, you know, I'm a huge Beach Boys. I grew up a huge Beach Boys fan. So it's like if if listeners don't know, like the Beach Boys were just kind of known for their vocal arrangements. You know, like five, six-part harmonies. And, and Brian Wilson, the arrangement of those vocal parts would, you know, throw in... Little melodic lines interweaving, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So the composition of the part is obviously important to me when you're dealing with like you know a standard three part harmony will probably be six vocal tracks, you know, one on the left, one on the right of each part, you know. So it's like so it's wider, um, and typically what I'll do is I'll roll a depending on where it's at you almost want to roll off more low end than you would on a lead vocal because you don't really need the background vocals to take up a lot of that low mid stuff. So you can really get, get get them to kind of sit and sit up nice in the mix without usually using too much real estate. And then just picking the right verb to kind of set them back into a mix. And that's for like oohs and ahs and stuff like that. So, you know, when you're, and I call those like pad, like if you were to play like a, keyboard pad like a pad stack or whatever and then you have your other vocals which would be like the stuff that sings along with the melody line that might be more like a simon and garfunkel thing and in that regard um you know same thing i think the arrangement is so important and the note choices are so important and and so when you hear those relationships between the lead vocal and and the harmony line they they have their own space and and same thing i won't i won't need as much low end. as I would in the lead vocal or body, you know, but um, I think if you do like twelve vocal parts in in a song, you can really mud up your mix really quickly, of course, you know, so um, the air adding you can get away with more air because sometimes you're not singing s 's and t's which is great, <laughs> you know, so. You know, just crank the 12K and just have fun with it and get some of those nice airy uh, oohs and ahs. So yeah, I think it's just more or less being a student of, of those types of bands, the Beach Boys and the Beatles and stuff like that, that really made me be a vocal-centric person from like day one. And I went to, um, I went to college and studied a lot of the music theory. So it's like I was able to kind of help people arrange vocal parts and and you know make interesting choices rather than just doing the standard like okay here's your third here's your fifth it's like you know let's throw a sixth on there or whatever and let's try this and let's try that so just messing with the arrangements is really important too because you can have two three vocals sound ridiculous if the part is written in in a in a cool way mm-hmm. so um, I I don't want to say you know some people will just say let's just quadruple that part and I'm like man we don't need to let let's just sing it once, let's write another cool, interesting part with it, and, and, and it'll sound bigger because the part is more interesting rather than just layering tons and t- of doubling and tripling and quadrupling something. I mean, sometimes that's fun too, but I think, I think, like like we said earlier, the composition of the parts is the most important thing. And um, I'll even go as far as to say, sometimes we'll wait on keyboards until we do the oohs and ahs, because a lot of times those will double in the same frequency range. You know, like you'll play like a, a 135 on like a, a B3, and then you realize you're singing the same part in the same notes. Then you can say, okay, well, let's just pan one to one side and pan one. There's so many options in that regard, but um, I definitely like to make vocals a priority. And I think just uh, being a fan of that stuff has kind of made me pass that on uh, to other people whether they wanted it or not
0: (laughs) for sure I mean when I listen to a lot of the stuff you had on your website like I could definitely hear that Beach Boys influence it's it's there you know so you're you're doing you're doing a good job with that
1: (laughs) oh well thanks I mean you know yeah, everybody
0: needs a little more Beach Boy influence, don't they? Right. Of course. Of course. So then as far as like those vocal layers go, like what are some of your normal like go to starting points when it comes to layering? Like you talked about doubling and tripling and quadding, um, and that's obviously like a good starting point for for a lot of things. Um, but then like, where do you go from there? Like what kind of things were you, will you experiment with to, to find like the right harmonies and that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. A lot of it's a, a nice way to do it. And this is when I started doing it. What I would do is like, I would, um, I, you know, cause I was a guitar player first. So I would say, let's find out where the lead vocal is starting. And I'd find that note in the chord I was playing. And then I would just sit there and like, okay, well I'm playing a C chord and the lead singer's singing the C on the B string. Okay. So let's start with the high E string. You know, like I would sit there and be like, ding, ding. And then I'd be like, okay, let's start there. And I would have to figure it out that way because I couldn't hear them so fast. Mm-hmm. I'd have to sit there on the piano or I'd have to sit there on the guitar and figure them out in that regard. And so that's kind of how I started. And I like, if you can keep things super tight, you know, like keep your intervals tight, you know, and get like, um, you know, if you were to play the top part of a chord you'd have your open g string you'd have your c and then your e it's like okay there's your triad you know there's your three notes of the c chord that's covered next chord you know and then i'd go to the g (laughs) chord and then i'd like sit there and map it out that way and that's a great way to learn how to start to do it honestly like it's it's a really great thing to to do it that way um and then yeah i think just my go-to's are are just uh, picking a nice mic that has a lot of air in it. Like I, I'll typically try to use. Um, I have one of the warm two fifty ones, and that's a nice bright mic. And just a pull tech at ten k boost. And then, like I said, that low cut. You know, getting getting rid of all that junk underneath. That's a good starting point for for tonality. And then once you get the part done. Um, a great thing to do is to send them all to the, make a group, send them all to your own aux and then compress them together. And sometimes EQ them together. Cause you want to treat them as one instrument. I think a lot of the impact, like you said earlier, comes from like treating them. Like sometimes we hear a drum kit and the kick drum might stick out too much. It's like, well, we know that person didn't treat that kit like a one instrument, you know? And I think that mm-hmm. if you do that, send them all to the same uh, compressor and then, Use the same verb on all of them and they'll glue together, you know, some saturation, whatever, and just like treat them, even though they're on 12 tracks, you can get them down to a stereo pair and then you can really make them sound, you know, melded together.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love that approach of just taking the guitar chords. It's such a simple thing for finding harmonies because I feel like so many singers have no idea where to start when it comes to harmonies. And it's just like, you know, they they know their lead vocal line, and that's it. They have no idea where to start to find other things. So I think, you know, just even like you said, that chord, that chord idea is such a simple way to find some ideas or feel get that inspiration that of stuff that will work because it's it's literally the same chord. So you know, you're just you are yeah. just creating those pads, right? So that that's the, that's the starting point right there. Yeah, it's a
1: great way to learn. And honestly, like I'll still go to it constantly. It's just like and and even if you. Because you can play C in four different places on the neck of your guitar or five, well, probably a million, but, um, you know, you can jump up and, and, and play at the, the bar chord at the 10th fret and get some higher options, you know, it, mm-hmm. there's so many things you can do with, and the same goes for the piano. And the nice thing is is like when you're working with singer songwriters and they'll sometimes they'll have a little bit more of a complex, but like you'll hear a major seventh or you're you'll hear a sixth chord or you hear a nine chord and it's like, okay, I'm gonna figure out where what that nine is. You know, I wanna hear that in the vocal arrangement, you know. So it's like, you know, I'll sit there and and figure that out on the guitar. So, so I just can't hear that stuff as natural as I can hear a one three five, but um, but yeah, by picking up the guitar, you can kind of figure out all that stuff. It's like, you know, it's going to work because it's there. You know, like you said, <laughs> it's like,
0: heck yeah, let's let's sing it. You know, yeah, so, it's not going to be a dissonant thing or something weird. It, it, it is exactly what is already there. So, yeah, that's yeah, a, that's yeah. a great, great starting point. That's amazing. Right on, man. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your day, but I appreciate you taking the time to do this, and uh, you know, just some amazing answers, amazing insight into your process, and um, lots of great stuff that I think people should be taking and running with from here. So, um, Andy, thank you so much for being on. If people want to learn more about you or follow you online, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I have a website, uh,
1: reedrecordingcompany.com. dot R E E D is how you spell read, and that's pretty much my one stop shop. It's got uh, Information on my studio. It has um, some interviews of this podcast. Will be on it. Some different things in the press page. It has links to all the different music I've worked on. It has a link to my, the band I play in, the Legal Matters, which is kind of just a studio band that that I'm in. Um, we've it's got a link to that page and stuff like that. But and it's got the bio. It's kind of just everything's there. I do have the Instagram under Read Recording Co. Um, you know, I'm trying to push the social media thing here and there and all, content and all that stuff that us old folk need to keep up on <laughs>
0: <laughs> right on. Well, yeah, I'll have show notes for that all in, in the, uh, in the show notes. So people have links for that. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it, buddy. So that was my interview with Andy Reid, and that was a lot of fun. I love his approach to producing solo artists and how he goes about building these songs and his approach to that and just everything about vocal stacks. I found that really interesting and just such a simple hack for finding vocal harmonies. Um, I think that that's something a lot of people really struggle with. And I, I, I can tell you from my own experience of being in the studio, I know a lot of singers that just don't even know where to begin when it comes to harmonies. A lot of producers don't know, and a lot of times a lot of these singers Rely on their producers to help them come up with those harmonies. And just having this simple tip that Andy shared here of using a guitar chord is just such a great springboard for finding harmonies. So, definitely something you're going to want to try. Um, I also love his idea of lab days. I think that that is just such a cool way to keep the process of making music exciting and to just constantly fall in love with the process of engineering and constantly finding different ways to experiment and find different techniques to use or different mics to use. It's just such a fun way to constantly improve on your skills and to give you a whole new tool set for creating records and finding the right sounds for your projects. So yeah, that was a really fun interview. And Andy, thanks again for being on. That was amazing. And I hope that you, the listener, I hope that you really enjoyed this episode. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to it. That way you're notified about all new episodes as they go live each and every Wednesday morning. And also make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. That is where I help out musicians with creating pro-sounding recordings from their home studios, teaching you how to go about the recording, editing, and mixing processes so that you can make the process of making your records easy. And if you've ever struggled with figuring out how to use the tools or what things to do in what order, what to listen for, that kind of stuff. That is exactly what you're going to find on MasterYourMix.com. And one resource that you definitely want to check out while you're there is The Mixing Mindset. That is a book that I wrote where inside I break down the process of mixing step-by-step and make it super, super simple for you. And also on the website, there are some other courses that you can sign up for if you're looking to go deeper into some of the tools like EQ and compression. And as I mentioned in this interview, I also offer coaching services. So if you are interested in getting one-on-one help with your records and really getting some hands-on training when it comes to the process and what to listen for and getting specific feedback on your specific music and your mixes, then definitely send me an email at info at MasterYourMix.com, and all you need to put in that email is the word coaching. And from there, I'll get you all the information, and it would be great to collaborate with you and to work with you on your projects and help you make your music sound the absolute best it can so that you can showcase your talents in the best way possible, showcase your skills, and maybe even make a living off of your audio skills because, hey, it's a lot of fun to do this stuff for a living and to actually be able to make money off of your passions right so yeah if you're interested in that once again send me an email info at masteryourmix.com and include the word coaching and we can talk about what it would be like to work together so that is it for this episode i hope that you found it very helpful and very inspiring and i look forward to chatting with you in the next one we'll talk soon have a good one take care thanks for listening to the master your mix podcast have your questions answered submit your questions to questions at masteryourmix.com please go to itunes and subscribe and leave a review and for more information on how you can improve your mixes visit masteryourmix.com